Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. This is Exodus 3, 1 through 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name. 
forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Amen. Thank you, Ellie. And welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. As it says on the front of the bulletin, we are here to reflect joy in the city. That is our goal. We've been at it for six years now, as it is our anniversary today. And so after Easter, we are starting now a new series looking at the book of Exodus. And the reason why this fits into our vision is because the themes of Exodus are this. It's, Exodus is about freedom. Exodus is about liberation. Exodus is about progress. It is about deliverance from oppression. And isn't it interesting that all those buzzwords are the same things that animate our culture today? Isn't it interesting? Those are the very same things that our culture loves. And so if we're going to live out joy in the city, we need to have an understanding and see that the main cultural narrative— that we are living in, that you've grown up in, that you are swimming in every single day is this narrative of freedom, this narrative of, of, of progress. It's, it's in everything that we do. It's in our historical—it's how we see history. For instance, the Revolutionary War is about, was actually about freedom. World War I was about freedom. World War II was about freedom. The Civil Rights Movement is a movement about freedom. In fact, most of the, of the, the rights movements that, we are go, that are going on right now, the gay rights movements, the trans rights movements, the social imagination of our culture is animated both personally and corporately on a societal level by this concept of moving from restraint to openness, from, from freedom from restraint. And so I believe that we have to, to do our job to, to, is to explore what real freedom might look like. And then how do we actually get it, and where does it come from? Scholars actually do agree about this, that the concept of, of freedom does not come from Eastern philosophies or religions. Uh, the, um, most of those practices believe that freedom is, was a, is a myth. Autonomy is a myth. It doesn't come from a Western secular view that we've all evolved out of nothing, and are going to go to nothing, that everything's random, but there are these laws of nature. That doesn't, it, it doesn't come out of that naturally. In fact, most people agree that this concept of freedom is particularly a Judeo-Christian concept that has been co-opted and absorbed into our culture. And now we have to figure out what does this look like? How, does it act, how do we actually get it? How does it actually come to us? How do we actually understand it and really live it and really believe it and really hold on to it and understand why does our culture obsess about it and where does it overvalue and where does it undervalue freedom? And to do that, I think we need to get into the book of Exodus. So today, for our passage, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at freedom to meet God, freedom to experience God, and freedom to be sent out by God. So freedom to meet God, experience God, and to be sent out by God. So number one, first, freedom to meet God. Let me try to situate you in, in this book. The book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible, comes after Genesis. At the end of Genesis, you have Joseph, who rose up to power inside the Egyptian hierarchy, and he ends up saving Pharaoh and, and the people of Egypt from famine. And now Exodus begins hundreds of years later where Joseph's descendants, the Israelites, are numerous 
And as a way to population control, Pharaoh oppresses and enslaves them. Moses is one of those Israelites. He escapes the, the death order on all new male babies. In, this is Exodus 1 and 2. And he's raised in the royal court to about 40 years old. He becomes a man, and he tries to live his own version of freedom. He tries to uh, bring liberation, and he does it by killing an Egyptian and murdering this individual. And he realizes he has to flee out into the middle of nowhere, into the boonies, to Midian. And he's been living there since. He's, he's been on the run, and now at this juncture, where in Exodus chapter 3, he is married, and he's raising sheep, not of his own, but his father-in-law. And so I want us to stop here and, and just zoom out for a second and realize this. Moses feels stuck and forgotten in exile. The people of God feel stuck and forgotten on exile. But I would argue that everybody in this room has a version of that as well, that we feel stuck and forgotten and on exile as well. Uh, there, in your reflection section, in your bulletin on page one, Eva Hoffman says this about our current culture, that we all feel this way. Some of us feel like we're on exile in our bodies, that our bodies are a wasteland. Some of us feel like we're on exile in our jobs, that we're in dead-end jobs. Some of us feel like we're on exile in our relationships, in our friendships, in uh, our everyday life. There's an, we feel disconnected on various levels inside ourselves. And the answer that the world gives, that the culture that you live in right now gives is this. You need freedom. You need freedom from your parents. You need freedom from religion. You need freedom from all the things that bind and shackle you. Not really, by the way, not realizing that, that even that statement is a, if it's a view, then you're not really free. You're still bound to that view. But anyway, the, they, they, it says you need freedom, and life is about seeking and living out that freedom. And yet here's what's curious. This is a curious thing that's happening. The more this identity, the more this narrative gets into our culture, all our national surveys say that actually we feel less free than ever before. That, we're, that, it, that you can actually see the plot line year after year, that there's more reports of feeling bound to our guilt, more reports feeling bound to our anxiety, to mental illness, less happy, less free. I was talking to a friend here in the city just a couple months ago, I've known him for years, many years, and not a Christian, and yet, to my surprise, unprovoked by me, he's like, Mike, I just, every day, I feel so guilty. I feel, I feel guilt every single day. And I didn't even know he had that, that concept, but it was prevalent, in, and he was able to cognitize it and say this. And so here's the question I want to ask. Why is it that we are living at a time where there is more freedom and personal autonomy than ever before? A lot of people say this, that we live in a civilization where you can do really anything you want to your bodies. You can change your bodies, go get surgery. You can change how people perceive you and what they call you by your pronouns. You can, you can change how, uh, who you're with. You can change your jobs, your location. You can really change almost anything about your personal space. The one thing that's left is you can't, if you have a kid, you can't just leave them on the sidewalk. Laws still won't let you be free from the shackles of your, of your kids, which is maybe why I mean, it's probably one of the part reasons why people are, are delaying to have kids, or, and we're seeing less and less of that in, in developed countries. But what's so interesting is, why is it that we're living in a time of amazing freedom, and yet we can't escape that feeling of guilt? We can't escape that feeling of failure, of feeling rejected by others, of feeling rejected by ourselves, by, by feeling we have to be perfect, and so we buy, and we consume, and we look to, to get more stuff, and yet ironically, it shows, I think, that our hearts are still bound. 
um, put it this way. It's like when you go to somebody's house in, or an apartment where they have a dog or a cat, and they have that kind of dog or cat hair, and you know you're, it doesn't matter if you're wearing black pants or white pants, whatever you're wearing, you're going to come out of that house covered in animal hair because you're free to roam in that home, but stuff is going to stick to you. In the same way, our hearts have the amazing ability to bind themselves to anything and everything around in our homes that, that is around us. And so here's what's so amazing. That it's such an irony that we live in a culture that tells you that you're free, and yet we're really bound by the beauties and things that are wrecking us. And so here's my question. How do we get unstuck? And I think this is where we go into the book of Exodus and look at Moses. Look at him. In verse 1, it says that he's tending the flock. And by the way, this verb is in the continuous sense. So this is basically Moses every day for 40 years. He's like, this is business as usual. This is his job. This is his life. This is his identity. And yet, what ends up happening is that it says in verse 2 that he sees this strange sight. This is important. This man has seen many fires, and he's seen many bushes before, but he sees this strange sight, and it says, I'm going to turn off, in verse 2, I'm going to go, in verse 3, it says, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. In the, 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 in the verses around, five times this word flame shows up to show this strangeness. Why am I bringing this up? Thomas Chalmers, uh, famous pastor of old, he says this. He says, you can't actually be free from, and, from the things that are binding you by just saying, I'm going to be neutral today. It doesn't work that way. The only way you can get free is if there's an expulsive power of a new affection that moves in your heart and in your life. But before that can even happen, there's actually a step before that step, and that's this. You have to have something come into and break into your lives and make you curious. And make you say, huh, and not fit and not work out. There has to be a strangeness to life. There has to be a curiosity thing. See, something for, to Moses didn't make sense, and it perplexed him. Now, you might say, well, why does that matter? So what? You can't be free from something. You can't start asking questions unless you're looking for answers. You can't actually move out and do this unless things don't make sense, unless something doesn't, uh, doesn't work. So you say, I have to go see. So here's the question. In your life, is the burning bush in your life potentially suffering or hurt that makes you say, what do I believe and why do I believe it? it is, is something that used to fill you not filling you anymore? Maybe that's your burning bush in your life. Maybe that what used to the world say will work for you no longer works for you. Maybe that's your burning bush. Maybe one day you wake up and say, you know what? There has to be more than this. Personally, that's what happened to me. I was in college. I had gone away to say, finally, I get to be free. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do it. And my system was very simple. I went to school, took classes, went to parties, had fun, woke up the next day, rinse and repeat. Because the logic was this in my head. Oh, I need to go to school so I can get a job, so I can make money in reality, so then I can spend my money to leave reality, to get out of this world. But I realized something. I couldn't get out of reality so much that then I wasn't actually in reality to make enough money so then I can have the money to get out of reality. And all of a sudden I said, wait a second, that can't be it. There has to be more. And it made me go searching, it made me go looking, and my question to you is, is what's that for you? What's your version? What is it that's, that God is trying to move in your life and say, wake up, that you have to see, that says that there needs to be more than this. And so if you're not a believer here today, if you're not a believer, I hope that you'd be curious for this. But some of you here that, that say you're believers and say, oh, I don't need to do this because, you know, I'm, I'm good now. 
Moses was a believer. Moses was, believed in the promise of God. He believed in God, and yet he still needed a disruptive moment in his life. And here's what's kind of cool. You think the disrupt- disruptive moments in your life is a way of God rejecting you and, and pushing you away, but potentially the, re- the disruptive moment in your life is a way for God to say, be curious, come and see. And I would hope that you would see that, that you, we need this in our lives. And so that's the first step. The first step to meet God is to seek God, to start being curious, to start doing that. Now, secondly, being free. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. To me, God is not enough. Secondly, the thing that we see here is you have to experience God too. Again, Moses knew about God. He knew a lot about God, but he hadn't experienced God yet. His faith was intellectual. It wasn't personal. It wasn't experiential. And so for today, if you want real freedom, real, real freedom, God can't just be an idea in your head. God actually has to be real. Not just a thought, but a relationship. It has to move, as we say here often, it has to move from your head into your heart. And then, by the way, that often takes time. For Moses, how long did it take? He was in Midian for 40 years, so it took 40 years, obviously, and then another 40 years. He's 80 years old when he gets, finally, this experience of God. See, for 40 years, I think he had been thinking, my life is living off course. I've been rejected. I am outside. And yet, it was actually all a way for God to create a space and a plan for him to finally experience him. You might think your life is, is outside the bounds, that you are off and you're wandering, you're in exile, but potentially, maybe that's just God's way to create a space for you to finally experience him and to see him. Basically, for Moses, he knew that what he knew in his head had to catch fire in his heart, had to become a flame, had to become real. Isn't it interesting that fire is always experiential, right? You don't just say, I believe in fire. No, you experience it. And you can experience it in different ways, right? You can see it. You can touch it. It can burn. It can also provide light and sustenance. Fire has so many different properties and, and potentials. And look at how it works in Moses' life. Because it enters in his life, because he starts getting this experience, what does he do? In verse 13, skip down uh, to verse 13. Moses says to God, suppose the Israelites, I go to them and they say, hey, who is this God? What is your name? I find it really interesting that in verse 13 he says, what's your name? When in verse 6, God already gave him his name. Why would he do that? It's because Moses is starting to say, I want more. I know your name, but I don't know your name. I want to really know who you are. In ancient Near East, names were means to understanding and getting at the real you. And so what does God do in response to that? After verse 6, he gives a list in 7, 8, 9, and he says, here's who I am. Here's what I'm about. Here's what I'm going to do. Here are my thoughts, words, and deeds. And it was all a way for Moses, and I think for us too, to try to experience and know him better. So let me ask you before we move on, have you moved, are you trying, are you actively trying to have an encounter with his flame, with this name? 
Because the means of grace, the way to do that, traditionally speaking, it's through, it's through reading about his promises in, in the Bible. It's through praying and speaking and being around him. It's through uh, encountering other Christians and letting each other rub off on each other. It's through church. It's through all these means that we can experience that. And if we don't, I think we're going to stay, we're going to constantly keep staying in our shame and our guilt the cycles of sadness, like, like cat and dog hair. We're going to keep sticking to things that we think will make us free, but really they're shackling us and binding us. And yet an experiential encounter with the real God will bring that freedom. And here's how you know you've had it. But wait, you want to say, okay, well, how do I know I've really had an experience? Because you've come to an encounter a God that doesn't always agree with you, that challenges you. I always find it interesting. I say, what do you believe in God? And, I, and isn't it interesting? You should be worried if everything that you believe about God is actually what you believe too. That God should be able to challenge you and correct you and call you out on things and offend us and confront us. There's no way for us a real experience unless we put ourselves in the place of his promises, of his character, of his nature. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If I had a dollar for every time somebody in our church came up to me and said, hey, I believe in God— I just don't feel his presence. And I say, okay, how often have you been reading about him and praying to him and sitting with other friends and, and Christians that are, that are challenging you and pushing you? How often are you doing that? And they always tend to say, not really. I don't have enough time. We have enough time for Netflix. We have enough time for social media. Shouldn't we have at least the equal amount of time for seeking and encountering the real God? Because I don't think we get to say, I don't, you know, uh, I don't feel close to God if we're not actually trying to be close to God. In verses 7 through 10, God uses six, not one, not two, six personal pronouns about his nature, about himself. What if we just meditated on those? Right? He says this, think what it means that God sees us in our misery. Right? He says that in in this text, I see your misery. What does it mean that he's going to do something about it? What does it mean that he comes down? What does it mean that he's going to rescue? See, move that from an idea into an active life in your heart, and you'll start putting yourself in his presence. There'll be potential for experiences. And I don't think it's going to come necessarily in one year or two years or three years, maybe 80 years, but it'll come. All right, point one, we have to get freedom to meet him. Point two, you need to experience him. Last point, how do we make this practical? So far, you should be saying right now, Mike, this is all words. Thank you so much. But— Make it real, too. And I think the way that I want us to try to do this is I put, try to put yourself in Moses' shoes. Pretend you're Moses for a second. In verses 7 to 9, God explains how he's going to free his people. And if you're Moses, here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, finally, it's about time. It's about time that you know, I've been waiting for 80 years. And look what he says in verse 9. God says, the cry of the Israelites— have reached me. I, I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And Moses is like, yeah, here we go. It's going to happen. And how's he going to do it? Verse 10, so now go. I'm sending you. <laughs> Please feel that letdown. Please do it for just a second. For your, if, imagine it's you. Yes, you're finally going to do it. God says, yeah, it's going to be you. If you're him, I, w- I wish we were there to see Moses' face, for him just be like, what? Me? you got to be kidding. And this is what's so amazing. God sends a burning bush into Moses' life. He shows him his name. He brings an experience, but then he sends him out. And that's the proof. If you want to know how have I had an encounter with God, that you know 
that you have been sent out, that you know that you're on mission, that you are believing not just in an intellectual concept, but a real encounter with God brings a presence of Him that can't but move you to mission. And if you don't believe me, look at every single person in the Bible that, that gets called, right? Abraham gets called. And he said, hey, God says to him, go out of Ur. In Genesis 12, it says, and then you'll be a blessing to all nations. Uh, the apostles, well, they were fishermen, right? Jesus calls them, brings them in, and then sends them out as fishers of men. Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd, probably wondering, why am I shepherding other people's flock? Not realizing that was perfect preparation for him to shepherd, not his flock, God's flock, his people. So God has a plan. He has a purpose. But what's fascinating and mesmerizing and mysterious is that it's going to be through us that he accomplishes it in strange ways. And so if you want to know if you've had an encounter, it's not just an ideal of God. It actually has to be seeing yourself on mission out in the world. And by the way, that's immensely practical because belief is, can, can be a concept where you can stick God in a folder. You can stick God as an idea. You can stick God in the drawer. But faith moves into action. Belief turns into practice here. And in our passage, I think God spends a lot of time in our text that Ellie read for us telling us about what he cares about. But here's the thing. Do you care about what he cares about? It, God talks about how his heart breaks. Does your heart break the way his heart breaks? Because I'm not sure you really believe in what you say you believe. And this is probably one of the main reasons why a lot of people have given up on Christianity is, is hypocrisy, is that do you really believe what you say you believe if you don't actually go out the way he goes out? That's how we know we've met the true God. But let me try to be careful for a second. Um, back up for a second. Does Moses go out well? No. We're going to see in the coming weeks he does not go out well. But what's so beautiful is nobody does. Abraham, uh, Joseph, David, Peter, Paul, do they go out perfectly well? No. But that should be encouraging to you. That if you're like, I don't know if I can do this well, guess what? You, don't worry. We've already got you covered. You're not. And that's okay. Go anyway. Do you think that Moses knew exactly the nature of God before he went out on mission for God? Do you think that the apostles, the fishermen, understood perfectly the Trinity? Do you think they understood how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit worked? I worry that we live in an expert culture, and so many of you go, well, I'm not an expert in this. I can't go out and do something and love and serve. And, do, and, and what if somebody asks me a question? What if I get in a place where I don't know what I'm going to do? Guess what? You're already going to do that. And no offense, you always have been in that space. And you don't need to be that expert. Just receive the call. You don't have to know where you're going to go. Receive the call. You don't have to know where you're going to go. And if you do, here's where we can wrap this back up. That's where real freedom lies. Our culture tells you freedom is getting to choose. This tells you, no, freedom is being chosen. Our culture says, you know what? You need to be free to be able to leave anyone and everyone and do your own thing. And this says, no, you're, here you get real freedom to not have to have it all figured out. I find it endlessly fascinating. Our culture says, hey, have freedom. But that's actually a weird way of works righteousness where now you have to still choose. You still have to be in charge. You still have to know and do all on you. And guess what? If you perform, you're in. And if, you're, if you don't perform, you're out. Only Christianity shows up and says, guess what? <laughs> you already are out. Now you're in. 
and we're ready to go. And by the way, I already know your excuses. You know why? Your excuses are my excuses. Here they are. Ready? I can't go out because it, the issues of the world are so complex. I don't even know where to start. I can't go out. I live in New York City. I don't even have time. Time is money, and I don't have enough time. I can't go out. You know why? I'm exhausted. I don't have enough time for myself. How can I have other time for other people? Those are valid excuses. That's why they're excuses. And the solution to them are in our text. And I skipped over, and I'm going to go right back to it. Go to the very beginning again. Verse 2. When Moses is tending the flock, verse 2 says that the angel of the Lord appears to him. But then skip down to verse 4. When the Lord appears and saw... And you should back up and now say, wait a second, is it the angel of the Lord or is it the Lord? Who's talking to Moses here? Which one is it? There's only one figure in the entire Bible that both is the Lord and comes from the Lord. There's only one person in the Bible who can claim to be God and also come from God, and that's Jesus Christ. And this is what's so amazing. What's happening here is this. God is sending Moses, but he doesn't send Moses before sending Jesus first. Even before he shows up thousands of years later, he's already shown up. The plan of redemption for, for the Israelites is inside the plan of redemption for every single one of us that Jesus had already started. He's already in the world, in the burning bush, which means the cosmic mission of Jesus has already started. And it's so beautiful and so powerful that he's going to die for us, that he's going to save us, that he's going to give us the ability. And that, that is going to give us the ability and the motivation to go out and do so. The Music Man uh, show on Broadway a couple um, months ago shut down. I, I, I had the privilege of going to see it when it first opened. And I, I, had, I had known the story before, but I was so impacted the way Sutton Foster and Hugh Jackman played uh, the two main roles. Sutton Foster was marrying the librarian. At the very end, it was amazing to see her see the whole truth of Harold Hill. He was this con man. He'd con he goes from town to town, swindling the town out of money. And she looks at him and sees him for who he is. All his known evils, all the ways he's been trying to, trying to swindle. And he looks at him and loves him and stays committed to him. Sees him at his worst and says, I'm, I'm committed to you despite it all. And you know what happens? He doesn't run away. He doesn't get up and say, do the, his normal paradigm and go to the next town. Instead, he stays. He's able to face the music. That was a pun. He was able to stay and be present and to repent and to forgive and restart his life again. What I think is amazing is Jesus on the cross is saying this. He's saying, I see you to the bottom. I see you to your flaws and your issues, all the things that you feel guilty about, all the things that you're anxious about, all the things that you have done that you know in your head, but all the things that you've done you don't even know about. And I love you anyway. And I'm committed to you anyway. And what's so beautiful and powerful is if you allow that in, if you let that be the center of who you are, if you base your love and your life on that love and that life, you will be changed and be ready to be sent. That this man, Harold Hill, basked in the wonder of the love of this woman, and it changed him. How much more would we be able to be changed if we basked in the love of the one who loves us for all our flaws, not just our seen ones? Some of you today, might, you might be a seeker. I don't, we, don't, we don't assume in this room that everybody is a believer, and there's a range, there's a spectrum. Today, you might not feel like you can actually put yourself 
inside the freedom of Jesus. But I would like for you to ask and be curious. See this, this, that if you want to know how Christianity can be really true, see the fact that every other device out there is some form of performance, some form of dance, some form of you get what you pay for. Even the view of freedom, as we already stated, is a narrative that performs to say that you have to live and act and do it this way. Only Christianity says, you deserve to be out, but you're in. Jesus, in one of the few places he talks about his own heart in, in the book of Matthew, he says, come all ye who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest, for, my, for I am gentle and lowly. With that kind of safety, with that kind of experience, we can put ourselves with him. And so if you want to know how you have this in your life, the space for us is to sit in the awe and in the wonder of the angel of the Lord who can say, I will be with you to Moses and realize that the only reason he could do that then is because we know centuries later, the ultimate version of I will be with you is that he dies for you. And he loves you in that way. To be with you and for you. This is the one who rushes to tell Moses to go only because he went first. And you and I, therefore, can be sent because we sit first in the awe and love of how he was sent. If even here, friends, the the plan of redemption for the Israelites is inside this greater plan of freedom from oppression, if Jesus didn't just arrive as we, we watched about kids being excited about the incarnation, he didn't just arrive, but he was sent did you know, I, just, I realized this this week, in the book of John, 40 times it says Jesus was sent. It's as if he's trying to tell us something. That there's something about the nature that if he was sent, then we can see ourselves sent too. Moses was too old, right? He felt like he was too broken. He felt like he wasn't enough. He was a murderer. He had failed. And yet God said, you can go. Imagine if we saw that applied to us. Imagine what we could do. He's saying to every single one of us, here I am, here's my love, here's my character, here's my name, here's what I love and care about. Will you love and care about it too? And let's do it together. This church is only six years old. We have a checkered record of actually going out and being on mission. But this gives us renewed hope to try again and again and again and restart again and again and again. And will you do it with us? If you're like, I don't feel that amazing, I don't feel like I can do it, guess what? Moses felt that way. If you feel like, you know what, I don't know if I have what it takes, Moses felt that way. Right? This is what I love about Moses. If you don't know where even to start, Moses felt that way. Your heart can be aflamed by the love of Jesus that will overcome all frozenness. Right? When you feel like that you don't have enough time, what will happen is you'll reprioritize your time. When you feel like you don't know where to start, you'll be given a place where to start. If you feel like you don't uh, have, a, you know, enough for yourself. You'll be filled by this, so then you'll have so much overflowing that you can go out and serve in love and care. Let's let the blazing love of God become a blaze in our own hearts through the experience of God, through seeking God, through practicing and being sent out by God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we start this new series, I, 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 it's a thank you so much for giving us the book of Moses. As we sit in the ocean of our culture that loves this narrative of freedom, help us to see there's so much good that's in this narrative. 
but also where we've missed it, where we under or overvalued it, where we've put too much emphasis or not enough. And help us to see where it really comes from, the origin. It only comes here, and yet it's the perfect version. As we're going to see week after week, I pray that we would be committed to that. I pray that we would put ourselves in a space where we'll come to listen and hear and be moved. That then we would not just let it fall out of our brains as we think about lunch, but that we would let it become more than what it is now. Help us to be different today than we were yesterday. Help us to thank you in the process for that. Help us to see your son, Jesus Christ. Pray all things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.